Welcome to the Best Ever You Network, celebrating our third year on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Thank you for helping us become a number one rated live show with over one million global listeners. Our team is on a mission to help you discover your authentic best self and bring it to the world. And now, here's our show. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. I'm one of your co-hosts, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. I am here in Maine. And out on the West Coast, we have Dr. Walter Jacobson. How are you, Dr. Walter Jacobson? Oh, doing great. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, 78 degrees out today. Can't hate it. Yeah, can't hate it. And we're we're inching up on you. We're, you know, we're going to hit 50. <laughs> so, <laughs> there, was one, there was one little patch of snow left in our front yard. I'm like, yes, melt. I shoveled it away. I'm like, okay, you can be gone now. But, uh, yeah, baseball's in full swing here. And finally, um, it was pretty funny. My, my son got this email um, from, from somebody that said, now that your baseball season is, is done and you're into summer baseball and we're like, wait a minute, the season opened up was yesterday. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like, what part of the country was that email from? But anyway, so it's good to be here in Maine and thank you all so much for listening. We've got a great guest with us today. We have JJ Virgin. We're going to be quiet here and just introduce her. So we've got, we're going to learn so much in the next hour. Um, JJ Virgin is a celebrity nutrition and fitness expert and a, get this, a three-time New York Times bestseller, and she's got another book she's going to talk about that's coming out in May, and I have a sneaking suspicion she's going to add that four, um, <laughs> four-time gold medal New York Times bestseller thing um, to, to her name and, and all that as well. But her most recent book is J.J. Virgin's Super Impact Diet, Drop Seven Hidden, Hidden Sugars and Lose Up to Ten Pounds in Just Two Weeks, and it shows you how to identify the sneaky sugars, Crush Your Sugar Addiction, which I broke one of those about uh, almost four years ago now, and go from being a sugar burner to a fat burner, um, which is so critical. And we'll talk about uh, her other books here in a minute, but I just want to make sure we get her on the phone. And how are you, JJ? I'm good. It's the sugar impact diet, but I'm thinking I love the super impact diet. <laughs> oh, did I say super? I, you know what? I'm I love, I'm like, so that's super, good. Super. The super sugar impact diet. It's the sugar impact diet. Um, I didn't mean to say super. Sorry about that. I like it. Uh, it's yeah, good. Yeah. Well, you know, there's your there's book five. <laughs> there you go. Actually, I just um, book five is <laughs> actually in the works right now. So. Oh it or my not. gosh, you are so busy. Uh, wow. Thank you so much for being with us. Before we get started, um, where would you like? What's your favorite social media spot? Twitter, like, Facebook. Oh, I was gonna I was like like one I like to hang out in. Oh, I'm I'm definitely a Facebooker. I you know okay. that's definitely my favorite place to be. Okay, so everybody go find JJ on Facebook. We'll put the links up to the show and everything too. But uh, we're so excited to have you here. And um, I just want to I want to get started and just ask you why why do you do what you do? What's, why is this so important to you that the world know about all this sugar stuff? You know, it's interesting. Um, I've never not done this, even when I was a little kid. Uh, I started like getting into nutrition and health when I was an early teen. But the last couple of years really changed everything for me. I mean, I was always, I always loved the whole field of weight loss because you know, I saw how wrong we were approaching it. But then when my son got hit by the car, and I don't know if you've, you've been following on Facebook, this was a couple of years ago. My son was the victim of a hit and run. He was crossing the street, 16 years old, 
at dusk, and a woman going 40 miles an hour ran him down and then got out of her car, gasped, and drove off. Like a a stunning thing you can't imagine. And a good Samaritan pulled over and called 911, blocked him from getting hit. They airlifted him to the local hospital. They told us to let him go. They said he's too far gone. He said it's a torn aorta, multiple brain bleeds. If we fix the torn aorta here, his brain will bleed out. If we don't fix the torn aorta, it's going to rupture, and it's too risky to fly him anywhere. And I'm like, but he's going to die here, so what's the risk? You know, like what what risk? You know, (laughs) so we overruled them and moved him to Harbor UCLA. They saved his life. But I literally launched my first New York Times bestseller from the ICU with my son in a coma, and when your kid's in the hospital, when you've got a loved one in the hospital, anyone who's had this happen knows if you are not there, bad stuff happens. And you have to be there all the time. So literally, I would get up at 5 in the morning. I had to move over there because it was two and a half hours from my house. So I was living in a hotel, driving to the hospital, 5, 5.30 in the morning because I wanted to be there for their grand rounds. And they go really early, I think, to avoid people. And then I'd get back home around 8.39 to the hotel, go to sleep, get up, do it again. I was running the stairs at the hospital. I was having, people were bringing me food from Whole Foods. But, you know, you can't get sick when your son's in the ICU. They don't let you in there. So you look at it, and I I had to make my book work because I'm the primary financial support for my kids, and now I have a kid, you know, I mean, major medical bills. And um, I had to do all of it. And there was no time for poor focus, poor energy, making life-changing decisions, you know, on a daily basis. And it just made me realize that, you know, I'd been focusing on more energy and losing weight. You know, this really comes down to you never know when something like this is going to happen or some amazing opportunity is going to happen. And are you ready? Or is your health holding you back? And is it holding you back because of simple little decisions you make every day that you could make a little shift and, you know, switch out the gluten for something else or or lower your sugar impact that you actually wouldn't even miss after a couple of days and totally change your life and be able to be there for things like this that could happen. Well, wow. you know, uh, as a doctor, as an MD, it's probably strange for me to say it, but I, I agree with you that oftentimes the, the, the last place you want to be when you're sick is in a hospital. Uh, uh, a lot goes wrong, a lot of mistakes are made, a lot of infections uh, show up, you know, and, uh, just by being in that environment. But, uh, but anyway, I, I wanted to ask you, okay, I'm a sugar addict. Uh, help me. What, what can I do? <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, you know, hospitals saved my son's life, but then you do need to be, you know, there's, you want to get him out as soon as possible. They stay in a coma in the hospital. Yeah, I mean, he had infections from his tube and all sorts of stuff. It, it, it's interesting when I looked at this question, and what happened was I wrote The Virgin Diet, and the number one question I got asked from that book was about sugar. And I found that people fell into two camps, and t- sometimes they were it was either or or worship both. Is they were either confused by it, you know, they thought, but I'm eating all natural, it's honey, it's maple syrup, right? It's coconut sugar, it's okay. Or they were controlled by it. They knew that they needed to cut the sugar out, but they just couldn't do it. And both of those are a problem. And so what I set out to do was to get rid of the confusion. We've really been looking at sugar all wrong, and that's set this problem up, but also help people get back the control over sugar. I set out to prove that I could help someone get rid of their sweet tooth in literally two weeks or less. 
that was the hypothesis I started this whole thing with, and it worked. And that's so important because, you know, as long as you're trying to fight willpower, I think you're always set up to lose. You know, we were not put on this earth to have willpower. Otherwise, you know, there'd be no people around. So, you know, battling your willpower is crazy. But if you lose your sweet tooth, which I believe you can do, I've proven it. That When I first wrote the book, I did a pilot test with 700 people, and that was the number one thing that happened in two weeks. The average person lost 10 pounds, they lost two inches off their waist, and they lost their sweet tooth for good. Like sweet food tasted gross, you know. Big difference. Yes, yes. Huge. You know, we share something in common. Um, I wrote my most of my book when my dad was in the hospital. Um, he's a stroke survivor, and you're so right. I just want to reiterate something you said off the sugar point for a minute and that you need to be in the hospital all the time or things happen. Wow. Um, but I have a question kind of related to that. How does sugar affect your mood and your energy and your ability to stay positive in a horrible situation, um, to get up and be there every day, all those things. How does your health help you do that? That's the first part of that. And then also, when you're in that situation of being the person in the health crisis, how does taking care of your health in that way, um, as you start to recuper, you know, recover, um, how does you know how does all this help? all of that situation? Because there's a lot of people in pain in a variety of different ways right now. So, okay, you threw a bunch of ones out. Start oh, with. How does sugar and everything affect everything that you're able to do? In other words, you know, if, well, keep going. Yeah, just, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was this this little study that just came out. And, you, you know, these things make me crazy. So I Google alert sugar and Every day I read what what's coming out about sugar in the lace one was sugar helps you handle stress. And I'm like, "Oh no." You know, no no no. You know, it's like, "Yes, you can have some soda and it will lower your stress hormones." I'm like, "Oh god, you've missed the point." So the challenge is is um Sugar initially, of course, will drive serotonin into the brain, which makes you feel better. It will drive up your blood sugar, which makes you feel a little energetic, you know, may temporarily lower stress hormones. And so immediately when you feel it, you feel pretty good. But that's short-lived, as we know. And so if you do that over time, first of all, your body gets dependent on sugar, not stored body fat as your fuel source, and dependent on using that exogenously as your way to have, you know, keep your energy up, keep your focus up, and it's short-lived. So you're up and down and up and down and up and down. But the other side of that, that's the short term. The short term is, you know, all of a sudden now you don't have good focus, you don't have good mood, you don't have great energy gas and bloating, but then you start to see that it creates an inflammatory response, it creates insulin resistance. I mean, there's 70 different diseases, including the big players like diabetes, heart disease, cancer, that all have their links. Like, add one one more thing to that. Like, go into, I'm, I'm trying to talk about the person who's already kind of got those things and then they have a crisis and how they're able oh, yeah. to... Yeah, that's what I'm yeah and that's that. the challenge. You know, I mean, you you want to make sure, like I look at my son, and had my son not been in good health when the car ran him down, you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't be here. He was strong, he was healthy, he was fit, he was in good shape. If he'd been, you know, not that case, no way would he have been able to recover. He was also on a lot of fish oil when the car hit him, and that 
that that pre and then of course after the fact are, are big ways we've brought him back but you know you never know when something's going to happen and the easiest way that i've seen to start to reclaim your health is to lower your sugar impact and it doesn't mean that you go cold turkey i think that's the the biggest mistake we make out there is that people have this idea that in order to do something, you know, it's all or nothing, and we have to, all of this has to go away today. And if you accept the fact that the number one drug worldwide is sugar, and it is clear that it's a drug, and it is clear that it's addictive, and it is clear that it is the number one drug of choice. I mean, I, I, it's like the stats all show it, right? And if you accept that, um, you would never tell someone to live in the world surrounded by it and go cold turkey. That would be silly. It wouldn't make any sense. So unless you can put them in a rehab center <laughs> for it, you just taper down and you can make a big shift. And, and literally, it's it's pretty easy to do. It's just that we've been doing this wrong, so we don't understand all the places sugar sneaking in. So we think we're taking sugar out of our diet, and then we're having this marinara sauce, the fat-free dressings got got a teaspoon of sugar per tablespoon of dressing. We've got the green drink, that the green smoothie cleanse, and it's got, you know, six servings of fruits in it. It's, you know, it's we're being bombarded by it. One of, one of the sugars that um, I always try and steer people away from is anything artificial. Do you think do you think those are good or bad? Um and and why? Because people think, oh, well, yeah, I'll give up sugar and just eat everything sugar-free, sugar-free soda, sugar-free yogurt, sugar-free ice cream, sugar-free, sugar-free. I think sugar-free. artificial sweeteners are the worst, worst um, chemistry experiment that we have done to us. They are this just ridiculous, stupid, they don't work. Um, it makes no sense at all to me whatsoever. So... Here's why. Number one, when you eat sweet, what do you want? When you eat, that say that question. again. I don't eat. I eat don't eat sweet. much sugar, so. No, no, no. That's not. No hypothetical. Hypothetical. Oh. If someone eats sweet, what do they want? Water. I would think water. No, they want salt, more sweet. More or, sweet. Or more sugar. More sweet. Yes. So the more sweet you eat, the more sweet you want. So when you're using artificial sweeteners, you actually just wake up your sweet tooth and dull it because it's sweeter, sweeter, sweeter. So all of a sudden, you know, you're wanting progressively sweeter and sweeter food. In fact, there's a gene that makes you the sweet taster gene, and the more sweet you eat, the more sweet you want. So there's that part of it. There's the part where it messes up your gut microbiome and actually feeds the bad bacteria in your gut. And that makes you hungrier and better at storing fat. Then there's also glycation. It goes through glycation just like normal sugars does, which is do, which is the most aging thing that you can do to your body is glycate. It's where sugars bind with proteins without using enzymes, and they make you wrinkle and brown spots and inflamed. So they do that. They also cause calorie dysregulation, which means that you lose the ability to correlate the degree of sweetness with the amount of sugar that you're eating with the amount of food that you're eating, so you tend to overeat. And then there's also the impact on insulin, because even though they're not, um, supposedly they don't have any calories, remember, it's the impact that sugar has on your body, and if these things are raising insulin, then they're telling your body to store fat, not burn it. So the studies are showing that people who use more artificial sweeteners have higher risk of diabetes and bigger waist circumference and gain more weight. So clearly, what we set out to use them for is not working. Yeah. Um, uh, is uh, I know obviously it's better to have fruit than a candy bar, but is uh, is the sugar in fruit a, a problem? 
So here's the deal. Um, when I looked at creating the whole sugar impact scale, because we've been looking at sugar all wrong, we've been looking at sugar and um, in terms of glycemic index, how much a 50-gram dose of a food raises blood sugar, which works fine if you're looking at a potato, but doesn't really make any sense with carrots, and we also don't eat food in isolation. So what I look at instead is how much something raises your blood sugar and insulin, how much fructose something has, and then contrast that with nutrient density and fiber. So fructose is the primary sugar in fruit. There's also, of course, glucose, but it's got fiber and nutrient density. The challenge is when you condense that, like fruit juice concentrate, um, when you pull it out, like juice, when you dry it, um, like dried fruit, you know, or you use it in processed foods, like high fructose corn syrup is still pretty much like table sugar. I mean, it's half glucose, half fructose. But it's the fructose is handled differently than any other sugar is in the body. Basically, all carbs are going to turn to sugar except for fiber. And there's either fructose or everything else, because everything else is going to end up as glucose. Fructose might too, but fructose goes straight to the liver. It's the only organ that can metabolize it. As it's going there, it bypasses triggering any satiety signals because it doesn't raise blood sugar. We thought that was a good thing, but actually it makes you more insulin resistant. It can lead to diabetes and hypertension. It's more aging than any other sugar, more inflammatory, feeds the worst cancers. But before it even starts doing that, it goes straight to the liver, tells your body to make fat, and you're still hungry while you're doing it. So one or two pieces of fruit a day, especially low-sugar impact ones like berries, okay, but apple juice, which has more fructose than a Coke, or dried fruit, or these green green drinks that have, you know, there's one green drink out there that's 16 ounces and 56 grams of sugar, more than the, the soda counterpart, and five servings of fruits in it. I tell people fruit is not free food. One or two servings a day, <clears throat> fine. But this isn't the, oh, I'll have dessert, I'll just have, you know, a pound of cherries, right? You know, I think people have this idea that this is just... Because we put fruit on the USDA my plate as five servings of fruit and vegetables, it's like we say kale is like a banana, which is ridiculous. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a like a sample of like what I would envision could be like the worst thing that you could eat all day long, or something. And and when I get done, just explain to our listeners what's wrong with this. So let's say I get up in the morning and I have a glass of apple juice, two pop tarts. Um, an egg and um, some blueberries and some frosted flakes. So, you know, I just totally binge eating sugar when I get up. Okay. Then um, I don't eat a snack or anything like that, or I might have a yogurt or something like that. At lunch, I go out to eat, and I have a giant bowl of pasta with breadsticks, and I, while I'm there, I drink four Diet Cokes. Then... Later on in the afternoon, I think, okay, cool, I'm, I'm hungry again, I'm going to have another yogurt. And then for dinner, I come home at like, oh, I don't know, 7 o'clock, I start making dinner, I eat it at like 8.30, and I have a giant steak, a baked potato, corn, um, a little bit of a salad smothered in ranch dressing with cheese on top, and um, some more Diet Coke, and then at the end of the night, I have a bowl of ice cream before I go to bed. How am I doing? 
So, you know, part of what I show in my public television show is what the typical person eats throughout the day thinking. I think the bigger one is the people thinking they're doing well, like they have the bowl of Special K with skim milk and sliced bananas and a glass of juice for breakfast, and they think they did a good job because it's low fat and the milk was fat-free, which means they pulled all the fat out, all you're left with is your sugar. You know, so they had this high-carb, fat-free breakfast that's basically the equivalent of four ice cream cones. And then, yes, they go to lunch and they have the salad because the salad's healthier, right? And they get the fat-free dressing, which, of course, has a teaspoon of sugar per tablespoon of dressing. It had glazed walnuts and dried fruit, but, hey, it's a salad. And they don't realize that, you know, between the teriyaki chicken and the glazed nuts and the dried fruit and the sugar-free, the uh, fat-free salad dressing that they just turned their salad into a sundae, a couple more ice cream cones, then they, you know, are worried about their bones, so they have a fat-free yogurt as a snack, because they've also been told they need to eat every two to three hours, <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they have to because they've turned their body into a sugar machine. And so if they don't eat every two to three hours, they crash. And so they have that fat-free yogurt, which is great. It's fat-free, so it's totally fine. But, you know, you can have a fat-free yogurt. I've got one in the fridge that I use for food porn. We'd never eat it here. 26 grams of sugar in it. It's got more sugar than ice cream, the same amount. And then dinner, you know, they're going to, again, same thing, just like you described, they'll have the pasta, <laughs> but it's whole wheat, not realizing things like whole wheat bread. Actually, two pieces of whole wheat bread raise your blood sugar more than six teaspoons of sugar do. So this whole it's whole wheat thing is kind of bogus, as we know gluten is very insulin-producing and very inflammatory and very addictive. Like the ultimate addictive trifecta is uh, gluten, dairy, and sugar, massive opiate hit on the brain. So... You have that for dinner, and big carb hit, big marinara. They probably just bought a regular marinara in the store where why they needed to add more sugar to tomatoes, not sure, but, you know, there's sugar in that too. And then a salad with balsamic vinaigrette, balsamic vinaigrette. Balsamic vinegar is just syrup. So what you've described is very typical. And Don't forget my challenges. ice cream before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, because you deserved it because you, you had a hard day. I had a terrible day, yeah had a hard day so i deserve it it's my only time and for so many women it's the only time to themselves and they're just going to have a little bit right yeah. and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and the worst thing is to eat right before bed you know one of the oh, big yeah. things research shows is 12 to 14 hours of an overnight fast is hugely important because it allows insulin to come down to normal growth hormone to come up you know you can burn more fat but that little ice cream before bed, oh, my gosh, <laughs> that's going to let you crash and burn and get hypoglycemic at two or three. And keep your ghrelin suppressed so that you can't raise growth hormone. All sorts of issues with that. But I think the bigger challenge is when people are doing these things thinking they're doing well, picking the fat-free dressing, picking the low-fat ice cream or the frozen yogurt, you know, and uh, or just having just having um, you know some biscotti or a or a whole grain muffin, all these things that, that, that pose as health foods that are anything but. It's really Especially what for somebody who's, like, already diabetic. Like, if, like, I cringe sometimes when I see somebody diabetic who's like, okay, well, I'm going to eat the, the sugar-free yogurt and the sugar-free ice cream and the whatever it is because it's, and have diet sodas, too, and I'm diabetic. Yeah, and the diet, you know, the the artificial sweeteners with diabetics is the craziest part of all. Because, I mean, the studies just, I mean, it's just crazy stuff. It's crazy. 
so there's just such a disconnect, and there's still a disconnect. The, the whole calories in, calories out model that will not crash and burn, you know, that makes me crazy. That I've been 15 years, I've been sitting here saying, you know, we got to. It's not about the calories. I mean, sure, you know, you can't eat way excess, but the studies clearly show it's it's while calories count, it's where they come from that counts more, and it's really the hormonal effect of these foods on your body is it telling you to store fat or burn it. Right, have great energy or crash and burn, age faster, age slower, and when you eat correctly, you don't have to worry about calories. You aren't hungry. It just becomes a non-issue. I mean, I don't ever go through the day and think about how many calories I had, <sighs> ever. Yeah. I just I never. I don't know if my math's good enough for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who the heck? I was just reading. I, I I always have to do this to torture myself. So I picked up. I don't know, like a People or a Today, some some little rag Something magazine. There about, um, you know, how the stars are losing weight. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. why do I do this to myself? Why do I turn? And the worst part is, is people are going to look at that and take the the advice of people. You know, one of the challenges is in our world is that um, there's an assumption out there that if you eat, that you are a nutritionist and therefore qualified to give nutrition information. I can't tell you how often I'll, someone will say, well, I was told I should never have X, Y, or Z, or I should eat all this. And I'll go, well, where did you hear that? And they'll go, oh, my manicurist. Like, <laughs> well, that, what? You know? <laughs> yeah. Right? Funny. Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. Or somebody who lost a bunch of weight, what did they do? Or what? I mean, everybody's so different. But um, I guess, um, we have a tweet coming in, and the question is, okay, so what should I eat? Number one question I get asked is, what should I eat? All right. And here's the thing. So what I teach people to do on the sugar impact diet is um, add before they take away. So the first part of the program, after you test to kind of check in where you are with in terms of your sugar impact and you do a sneaky sugar inventory to find out how much sugar is sneaking into your diet, is we go through then and we start to taper. And the first thing I have people do is add before they take away. I find a lot of people are overdoing um, sugar and carbs because they're not getting enough healthy fats and protein in. And I'm happy to see that I think we're starting to make this shift now into people like not being fat phobic. That is just one of the, the – the reason we have the sugar problems we do is because – a couple decades ago, there was a big argument between two researchers. One, Ansel Keys, said that fat was making us of heart disease, and one, John Yudkin, brilliant guy, said it was the sugar, and Ansel Keys won, and the fat-free craze happened, and sugar came in and fat came out. And I feel like we're finally getting back to where we should be, which is a higher-fat diet. My diet is 50% or higher in, in fat. And uh, when you're eating good, healthy fats and you get good, clean, lean protein, you don't crave sugar because your brain can make the chemicals it needs to to stay balanced, serotonin and dopamine. And the healthy fats help you keep fuller longer. So things like, you know, for, for protein, wild fish and grass-fed beef and pastured pork and lamb and pastured chicken. And I do defatted beef protein shakes and pea protein shakes. So... Those are good, clean protein sources, healthy fats, avocado, wild, or, um, the wild fish, of course, counts in there too, raw nuts and seeds, coconut. This morning I did a shake with defatted beef protein and pea protein. I mixed my two different shake mixes. I threw in chia seeds. I threw in extra fiber. I threw in avocado and coconut milk, and that was it, and it's delicious. And, oh, I threw in a spoonful of nut butter. So, I mean, I had fat from the coconut milk, the nut butter, the chia seeds, the avocado, 
loads of fat. Wow. Um, yes. So that, yeah, that's, that's a wow. Um, what you, so um, what you eat so I want one to, other before thing you keep to going, I want you to know we have a ginormous food allergy audience. Um, oh, okay, because cool. I, I've had anaphylaxis to nuts and peanuts and fish and shellfish for almost 20 years now. And I got them after my um, second pregnancy. And so um, one of the challenges I always ask, one of the things I always ask people when they come on the show, um, just because our food allergy audience is so tuned into these shows when we do shows on healthy, clean eating, food, nutrition, that type of thing, is when you can't eat nut butter or chia seeds or coconut milk or all those things, where do you get your fat from <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a necessary thing or your protein from um, can you can you help us with that a little bit? Because let's say you want to kind of go vegan, but then your choices are, you know, like almonds or nut butter or something like that. It, yeah. it puts you like in this circle of you can't get out of it. Well, so, you know, I mean, I wrote the book on food intolerance called The Virgin Diet, and then I wrote, um, I have the Sugar Impact Diet. And I in both those programs, I also have a specific plan for vegans, a specific plan for paleo. I would say I don't want to die on that hill because it seems like, you know, both those groups tend to go way, way over the top on whichever way they're going. So I'm like, yeah. whichever way you want to go, I'm like, I'm, st- I'm staying out of it. I'm over here. So I give them their plans. The challenge is, um, you know, especially in the vegan diet, it's yeah. going to be very hard to keep your sugar impact down and get what you need, and, and especially if you can't eat nuts and seeds. And so, you know, I always question people in whatever diet they're doing, why are you doing it, and is this the healthiest choice for your body? So that's the first part. Um, because there's plenty of healthy fats out there for people. It's just, But if you're going to go vegan, like there's, there's another uh, diet out there that's low-fat vegan. I'm like, that's the worst diet I could ever imagine because it's a high-carb diet. So if you're doing a low-fat vegan diet, I would, you know, this doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I have no idea why someone would do that. But, you know, with food intolerances, you've just got to pull out the things that don't work for you and then find other options. There's a ton of healthy fats out there. You know, if you eat dairy, ghee is one of the most amazing. Grass-fed ghee is incredible. Macadamia nut oil, if you can do nuts, is amazing. Red palm fruit oil is another good one. You know, of course, avocado. So it just depends. I mean, there's a whole array, and then you have to, because people write me and go, well, I can't do nuts. I'm like, well, don't do nuts. You know, then don't do nuts. Just do, <laughs> these, do, do the other ones over here. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's funny. Yeah. But I always so look you're, to you're restrictive not, um, diet. You're not, oh, sorry. I, I mean, I look at restrictive diets, and and I always want to question with someone as to why you know, why are they there? What is the outcome they're looking from that, you know? Is it, a, is it a religious thing? Is it a health thing? What is the reason behind it? And is it really substantiated for the choices you're making? Because sometimes it's not. Yeah, I, I found that, that through, yeah, through managing my, my food allergies and so forth, I definitely got so much healthier when I mixed sugar about four years ago. I think I had my head in the chocolate bag, literally, like just mindlessly eating chocolate. I'm 46, almost 46, and it was just like, okay, we're gonna eat chocolate. <laughs> no idea why, but it was it was um, it was just like sugar, 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 sugar. All of a sudden, with hormones changing and everything, and and um, yes, oh. yeah, and Those that's hormones. a really big deal. Yes, it is. I'm 52. It is a big deal. <laughs> you know, getting off of sugar, is it uh should wait, wait, wait. should you go cold turkey on it or or, or what? 
No, hang on. Never. Go back to the why. Go back to why it's a big deal for sugar in your forties and fifties. Go back. To well, so here's why it's such a big deal. It's all. I think as you're moving into hormonal shifts, women in your 40s and 50s, men it's happening younger. It used to be later in their 50s, but really 40s, 50s too. It's all about your adrenal health. It's all about managing stress. And to me, one of the most you know stressful things you can do to your body is eat a high sugar impact diet. So when you look at moving into really good hormonal health, the place you start is with balancing your diet, keeping your insulin level keeping your blood sugar level, supporting good healthy adrenals that you're going to have to rely on as you go through menopause and andropause. So, you know, having now, I'm 52, so I'm like, you know, in that war. <laughs> this is all that This is all that uh, matters there is start with your adrenals and a good healthy diet. You want to do everything you possibly can going into it. And ideally, the sooner you start, the better. Yeah. Okay, Walter, what were you saying? What happens if you, oh, what happened to me when I quit chocolate? No, no, I I just, you know, I I just think. The answer is you get the shake. (laughs) If you really want to know. Practically speaking, like, how should I, like, you know, get rid of this addiction to sugar? What's the best way to do it? I mean, get rid of snacks, get rid of the whole deal, or go slowly? So I have a three three-step process. I mean, I I call it the four T's because I start with testing, but then it's taper transition transform so the first thing i have people do again is add before they take away so they're bringing in clean lean protein and again and again i have options for vegan or paleo or anywhere in between they're bringing in healthy fats they're eating a lot of non-starchy vegetables and then some what i call slow low carbs wild rice quinoa pumpkins berries so that's step one and as you're going through that trend, the tapering phase and you're adding and making sure that you're getting in those things at each meal and you're getting lots of water in between each meal, you're tapering down from high sugar impact foods to medium sugar impact foods. So if you were eating a potato, you switch to a sweet potato. If you were doing white rice, you switch to brown rice. If you were doing raisins, you switch to grapes. So simple little swaps. So you don't even miss the foods that start to lower your sugar impact. But again, you're adding in protein, you're making sure you get enough fat. And then you do that for a week or two, depending on your results on the sugar impact quiz. Someone who's more metabolically damaged, say they're diabetic, insulin resistant, they've got elevated cholesterol, whatever their issues are, someone who's got more of those issues might take two weeks to do the transition. It doesn't it doesn't matter because it's not a race. And that the uh tapering part's really what sets you up for success can't skip that. Once you've done that, you move into really what's a detox or a reset. I call it the transition phase because it's where you're transitioning from relying on sugar as your primary fuel source to fat. And so what I do here, and this is what changes everything. And when I read about it and looked at the biochemistry of it, I, I knew this would work. But I ran I ran it on myself, I ran it on my team, and then I ran 700 people through it. And then I went, this is like crazy how well this works. Because I wanted to help people reclaim their sugar sensitivity so they could really taste sweet again and get good at using fat for fuel. So what I do for two weeks is I take fructose out entirely. Because it turns out that the more fructose you eat, the better your body gets at getting it straight to the liver where it's stored as fat. So you do not want to be good at that because you elevate something called GLUT5 transport system. This is, not, this is not a goal. We don't want to get good at transporting fructose to the liver and making fat and being hungry. That's a bad thing. 
So it turns out that while if you eat a lot of fructose, you get really good at it, at transporting it, if you don't, you get really bad at it. So that shift happens very quickly. And since fructose is super sweet, that's why we're using it more and things. And by the way, if anyone listening thinks agave is the, is a health food, it's the highest fructose food out there. So for two weeks, I take fructose down to zero. We go to all low-sugar impact foods. So if you were doing wild rice or uh, brown rice, you do wild rice. If you were doing a sweet potato, you do a pumpkin. We take it all down, tons of easy recipes. And at the end of those two weeks, the average person's lost 10 pounds. They lost two inches off their waist, but they lost their sweet tooth, which is really cool. Then I take a week, and I think this is the most critical thing because, you know, what's happened at this point is you've done a reset, you can taste sweet foods again. They don't taste good. People tell me they just taste gross. So you've gone through that reset phase. But what's so critical here is to notice now, take some time and check in with how do you feel when you eat this way? So I have people start adding back some medium sugar impact foods and then do a trial on a high sugar impact food. So maybe they'll go have a couple pieces of wheat bread or a white potato or some ice cream and then check in on your energy, your gas and bloating, your focus your mood, your weight, your blood sugar. I had one gal who her blood sugar was always on glucophage. She was up at 140. She could never get it controlled down below that. She went on the program. In the reset cycle, she brought it down. It was sitting at 90, no issues. Then she went back and she started to connect the dots with different foods, and boom, went up to 117. She now can control her blood sugar at 90, no issues, where she never was able to do that before, even though she was following more of a, you know, diabetic type of diet. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, and um, let me just talk for a second about what happens if you decide to go cold turkey, because I kind of have a switch. It goes on or off with stuff. A lot of the times I can just be like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore, or whatever. And... um, I decided, I mean, I was eating chocolate, and I was like, this is stupid. What am I doing? And I stopped, and I literally um, had headaches. I was shaking like a drug addict, sweating. Um, It was crazy Mm -hmm. what I went through to pull myself off of chocolate, not knowing all the things that you just said. Um, So for somebody who's like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to drink soda anymore. Um, Like my mom, she was drinking like I don't know how many cans of soda a day, and I said, well, um, wean yourself off. She's got that same thing. She's like, I'll just stop. She got migraines and terrible things. Yeah. But eventually lost 25 pounds just by not drinking soda. But think if she just tapered it down, you know, it's like you don't have to go – you don't have to do this. Like you don't – it doesn't have to be painful like that. You just – if you taper it down, it takes a week the most, you know, sometimes two weeks – but you don't have any of those horrible side effects. And I've had literally people say, well, I went on this, and next I, I had to go race to the soda machine, you know, because they just couldn't yeah. take it. I was like, you, you just it doesn't need to be hard. You don't have to be mean to yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know, a lot you, of us are mean to ourselves because you're sitting there, mm-hmm. you know, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I'm fat, I'm old, I'm this, <laughs> I'm that. And, right. you, you know, you just, by the end of it, you know, by the end of two minutes with yourself in a mirror, you've just completely obliterated your whole being. So, um, and we're ma- women, especially, we're masters at doing that to, to ourselves. Yeah, I so, use the uh, the, the scale to, uh, to be, you, beat myself you, up. Yeah, that's wrong. J.D., do you you teach people the the thinking and the positive thinking and so forth that kind of goes with this? 
also? You know, it's interesting. I um, speak at a lot of medical conferences, and the next one I just decided I wanted to do something very different. Um, I've decided that I'm going to do Making Success Stick because really, and my next book is much more on mindset stuff, um, you, you know, the information's out there. The strategies are out there. Now, granted, I see a lot of the wrong strategies out there, but still, you know, here's the book. What's the difference between someone who takes a sugar impact diet book or the virgin diet book and has success versus the person who takes the book and puts it on the shelf, right? Yeah, what <laughs> and is that? What is the difference? I think it starts here. First of all, it starts with the desire to get real inspired goals and the belief that you can do this. If you don't believe you can do it, then the book's going on the shelf. So you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to love yourself. You've got to want it. And then you've got to have a goal. You know, I was on Dr. Phil for a couple of years, and he he always called it the uh, get real goal. And I don't think it's their get real goal because he'd say, you know, you can't be who you were back in high school. I'm like, well, what if you could be better? What if, like, let's do a get real inspired goal that you can be better than you've ever been in your life. Right, that's the goal I'm looking for. That's is what's that one. goal that's gonna, you know, I don't want to keep you up at night, but you know, but what is that goal that that gets you excited again, that makes you like, because for so many of us, we're just kind of walking through in a fugue state, right? So what's that big goal? And now here's the key, and this is where everything changes. And I, I still remember because I was standing next to my son holding his hand, and he was in a coma with the, you know, the all the beeps and breathing and you know terrible that and yeah. I still remember standing in the ICU listening to all the sounds and seeing all the tubes and thinking this is the best thing that's ever going that's ever happened to him that's my shift and I think you know the first thing and I told everybody so the first thing I think you do is get a goal and then and by the way people who get a goal and write it down are 40% more likely to get that goal to happen than people who don't so what an obvious first step, right? Get goal, write it down. You want to double your odds? Tell other people. When you tell other people, you then have an 80% more likely chance of it happening. So that's the first step is do that. Now, here's how you get successful on a program. You journal. People who journal are twice as successful as people who don't journal. So you set some big fun stretch goals you wrote them down, you share them with a friend, and then you start to journal what you're eating and any lifestyle habits that you want to do and change. I will tell you, and the more you can get in community, hire a coach, have a support group. All my programs, I have communities, support groups, coaches, all involved. And the more you can do that, the better. I mean, that's. I think that's the big secret to success. And there's a, I, have, I have amazing coaches I personally work with. I don't recommend anything I don't do myself, and I work with coaches. And my one of my coaches, he's my entrepreneurial coach, talks about this cycle, and I think it applies to everything. His name's Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach. And, you know, I've always gone out, I love that quote that says, do one thing a day that scares you. And when I'm not in that mode of something being scary to me, I know I'm not growing. And then I sit there and go, what, what can it be, you know? And so he gave me the cycle, and I went, well, that explains all of it. And he says, okay, it starts with a commitment. So let's say you say, you know what, I want to go be a public speaker, but my weight's holding me back, I lack self-confidence, so my first goal is to lose 50 pounds. The minute you do that and you voice that, because, again, you're going to say it, you're going to write it down. I write my goals every single day in my journal. Every day I write them down, and I tell other people. So you say it. 
you tell other people, you're writing it down, you're going to get scared the minute you do that. That's a good thing because it turns out that when you make a commitment that is a stretch commitment, you're going to, it's going to require courage to go after the new capabilities that you need to reach that goal. So you get scared, requires you to step up, have some courage. You go get the new capabilities, the new skill set, whatever it is you need to reach that. When you reach that, you've got confidence. And that bigger confidence then allows you to go to the next bigger commitment. And it becomes just this amazing, cool cycle where you just, instead of most people kind of going through life and playing smaller and smaller and becoming more scarcity-minded and more limited, it's just the opposite of being more abundant, bigger, more confident, making a bigger impact on the world, because that's what we were put here to do. We weren't put here today to, to do to count our calories and, you know, stress over over you know, our waistline. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right? I, I think some of us some of us are, are convinced we are though. You know, I have a I have a question yeah. that kind of a segue to your second book cause, and it's but it also ties into staying with your your diet First, but by the way, let me just say your this whole success paradigm you just gave was brilliant and it works across the board for anything. You're right, uh, whether it's a food or or success or money or relationships. You know, th- this whole goal setting is great. But I want to ask you because earlier you said, okay, switch from a sweet potato to pumpkin in in this transition. And uh, so for me, it's like, uh, yeah, but pumpkin. I don't know how to cook pumpkin that I'm going to want to eat it. And you have this book about recipes. So is that how this works? That if you learn how to cook this right, then you can make the transition and stay with it. Well, first of all, I have cook. So I, my next book coming out is the cookbook, um, May 26th, which we're doing a really fun live cookathon in a you know in a week. Um, and my book has recipes, but I got to tell you, this all this stuff's so easy to do. There's no difference between um, you know baking pumpkin and baking a potato. It's just we're just not used to doing it. I think one of the most you know we're not used to being in the kitchen anymore. I'm sort of the queen of like what can I assemble in there? How quickly can I put foods together? And it really comes down to stocking your pantry, fridge, and freezer correctly. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it becomes very easy, right? Because then you just have your stuff in there and l- literally anything that I put. I I can do a meal in 30 minutes or less. You just have to have the right stuff in your pantry, in your fridge, and your freezer to do so. And by the way, one of the biggest urban legends out there that doesn't seem to ever want to die that's so crazy is that it costs more to eat healthy. Because it actually, when I went to the store and I bought two grocery carts worth of food, um, my my grocery cart of what I normally eat versus what a typical family ate, and I was stocking carts to see, was thirty eight bucks less. Wow. Well, um, you guys, you can you can hear me typing in the background. We're getting a lot of tweets and, and so forth. I don't think I'm going to be able to take all of your questions because we're going to run out of time, and we've covered a lot of what you're asking. But I just want to remind everybody that um, we're on the phone here with JJ Virgin, and can we? Just talk about all of your different books for a little bit and talk about the book that you have out right now and then the one that's coming out in May because a cookbook would be a fabulous thing for all of us. Can't wait for that one. Well, that's why we always do things that people ask for. That's I've yeah. just decided that um, that's that's the way to do it. You know, if someone says, I need this, and everyone always asks, what should I eat, and then wants more recipes. So that's how we put it together. So I started with way back when I did six weeks to sleeveless and sexy because I kept getting asked about my arms. So I was like, okay. 
So did six weeks to sleeveless and sexy. And then um, the biggest thing that I was out talking about was food intolerance because I'd been doing working in doctor's offices for years, doing food intolerance testing. The same foods always showed up. When we pulled them out, it was crazy how quickly people lost the inflammation, um, their skin cleared up, they lost weight. Amazing. And it wasn't that all of these seven foods were necessarily a problem, but it was always at least a couple of them. So I created a very simple elimination diet program for people called the Virgin Diet, and then, of course, people wanted recipes so we did the cookbook and but the big question got asked about sugar so then i did the sugar impact diet because i knew we'd been looking at sugar all wrong and i wanted to create a new framework for looking at sugar that was so easy to put into um, practice and so i created these scales and i rate foods low medium and high sugar impact and all you really have to do is you know taper from high to medium then medium to low and then figure out where you need to live that's the third cycle like where do you do best most people do best with low sugar impact with you know knowing when they can put the mediums in um and so now we have the sugar impact diet cookbook coming out and then in i'm not i don't even know in, in the next in in a couple of years i'm bringing out my story of uh what it was like to the life-changing lessons that happen when you uh when your son is left for dead in the street and you have to bring him back. So that's going to be the the last one. Yeah. Um, Walter, are you there? Are you oh yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted okay, to you're quick... quiet today. You're so quiet <laughs> today. There's just, so, just so much. I, I don't even know how to <laughs> approach which which thing to ask. But uh, uh, about the, your recipes that's coming up, because I I need to get in the kitchen more, because I think that's how I screw up. Because I'm just running around a lot, and so I grab stuff. And if I'm in the kitchen, I got some recipes that I can do things. So, like you talk about, like coconut oil and cauliflower and quinoa and things. Can you just give us give us a little bit about these these foods and how to use them or whatever? Well, there's I have um, a bunch of my favorite foods out there. I think every nutritionist has the ones that they like the best, and I think things like you know. Doing, I love wild rice of any of those things because it's actually a, a grass, not a grain, just like quinoa is a seed, not a grain. These are things that you make if you can make in your fridge and make with a little veggie broth or chicken broth and leave them in there. It's so easy to do a stir fry with them, do you know a, a chipotle style bowl where you throw that on the bottom and add some vegetables and chicken and guacamole and salsa. You know they're just good foundational foods. So I always have lentils garbanzo beans or black beans or quinoa or some cooked up i love kabocha squash which is very it's a japanese pumpkin it's amazing or some butternut squash i always have some of that in the fridge as a slow low carb that you can grab you can throw it into a salad and i always keep a bunch of salad greens in the fridge too some arugula and kale and i always want to i massage kale before i um put it in salad, which is an important thing to do because otherwise it's really bitter. So all you have to do is put some olive oil on your hands and rub it or some macadamia nut oil. I'd say my favorite oils, uh, macadamia nut oil is my favorite oil of all oils. It is absolutely delicious. Macadamia nut is an amazing food. You can cook with it at higher heats, but it makes just an incredible salad dressing. But you can also roast vegetables with it, which is incredible too. And so, you know, for a lot of these things, they're so easy to do. It's easy to roast vegetables or roast squash. It's easy to boil up some quinoa or wild rice with a little broth. And it's just kind of learning learning these things. And once you do, you realize how much time you actually save versus 
uh, you know, and money versus going out to eat or grabbing stuff that's prepared. Mm-hmm. Plus, you've got total control over what went into your food, which is hugely important. Definitely. Um, what, can we talk about stress before we go? Just a, just a quick um, nibble on the whole stress thing because um, if stress, belly fat, cortisol, all those things, talk about sugar as it as it goes with all of that. I I still don't think people quite get it. Well, you know, if you can look at one thing, and unfortunately it's not very sexy. I really wanted to write a book about stress making you um, age faster, you know, fat, old, and lose your sex drive, because those are the things it does. And one of the big things it does is make you crave sugar. Um, But stress in itself, and that's why it's so important to look past calories and look at your lifestyle, because there's a great little, um, Glamour did this great little project with my buddy, Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor, and all they did was take a group of women and had them sleep more. These were women sleeping six hours a night. I think they had them sleep eight to nine hours a night, and they all lost weight. And that's one of the fastest ways to start lowering your stress hormones is to get better sleep. It improves your insulin sensitivity. But, you know, when you look at it, it, we've got to look beyond just calories and look at if you're stressed out, you're going to have higher fasting blood sugar. If you have higher fasting blood sugar, you have higher insulin, you won't be able to use stored fat for fuel. If you're eating carbohydrates or sugar, because both are the same, what you really want to do with your body is teach your body to make sugar slowly from the slow, low carbs you're eating, like quinoa and pumpkins and wild rice, not mainline it from things like you know muffins and juice and stuff like that. And if you are doing the mainlining, you're constantly keeping your blood sugar up and your insulin up. If your insulin's up, it's driving your blood sugar back down, so you crash and have to do it again. It's very catabolic. It's going to, you know, strip your body of nutrients um, over time, raise your stress hormones, and lower your serotonin and make you dependent on it. Um, So all of this stuff I look at as, most of us are kind of in this stress-driven world where we're used to undersleeping, going, 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 too much caffeine, too much carbohydrates and sugar, and you want to shift it back the other way. But again, that's why we taper and we don't do it overnight, right? So you start, and I, I don't believe that, I think coffee, especially if done correctly, I do Bulletproof Coffee, Dave Asprey is one of my closest buddies. I do that every day, but, you know, I'm not drinking coffee all day, Right. You so, don't have like twenty cups um, of coffee to keep you going. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you're if you if you I mean I I'm not gonna get up in the morning unless I, there's coffee waiting for me. I'm not gonna do it. But if you know, you cannot make it throughout the day without your pots and pots of coffee, there's an issue. If you can't make it every two right. or three hours without having to eat, there's an issue. So we're always looking at what, you know, <laughs> it's like you should have great steady sustained energy, right? You should be able to go four to six hours before you need to eat again. Start the day with some coffee, but you shouldn't feel like you have to have coffee at ten, eleven, twelve, one, two, three, four. That's you know, a little over the top. Yeah, I have somebody in our in our healthy challenge who I just weaned off coffee, um, totally over a month month's time or so, but was drinking like fourteen cups of coffee a day. Yikes! Yeah, because that's, that's I mean, a ton of coffee. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of coffee. too much. Now, little coffee is actually, and and yeah. again, I I believe coffee is a health. Well, the studies show it's it's health food, but it's like anything. I mean, water it, water is great for you. Just don't, but you don't want to overdo it, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, gosh, this has been such an educational, 
inspiring conversation. Um, how can, I, I don't know the answer to this question, so I don't know if I should even ask it, but um, how how is your son? What what happened? My son is doing great. So he is, um, we're actually working on like kind of a school transition thing right now. He lost his last year of high school um, because he was mainly in the hospital during that time. So we're still working on that piece. He's about two and a half years out now. Uh, um, he, the biggest, he's six one, healthy, fit, happy, um, you know, a little bit of short-term memory issues. Don't know how much of that will stay because it takes about five years to really come back from a brain injury. Yeah. His dad has been amazing, amazing, amazing. I always want to give him a shout-out. He's been incredible um, bringing him back. I was really good at harnessing the help at the hospital. I'm, I'm um, really good at that part, and my um, ex-husband is the most patient human being on the planet. And to bring someone back from a brain injury is is a very there's there needs to be so much more out there about that which will start to come out of this next book is what can I do to help because it's the number one thing that that boys 18 to 24 face and there's nothing out there for them and there's not a lot being talked about it and so many of us injure our brain and don't even realize we do it and we don't understand the mood swings and the depression and the stuff that that we're facing so anyway that will be that'll be my next labor of love here. Uh, great information. <laughs> to be to be developed. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is that is scary. Just I know my dad had um, swelling on his brain and all those different things, and and um, also the bug in the vent, and just it sounds very very similar, only uh, different different things that put him in the hospital. But still, yeah, it's it's terrifying. But my dad's been alive, has survived now for jeez. Um, about 11 years now. So, that's good to be a stroke survivor yeah. of 11 years and he's com- and he's completely um changed his diet and everything down to not eating any of the artificial stuff for the soda or anything like that. He's a really good a really good diabetic um almost almost to the point where you can pull off medications and things like that. Which is cool. Awesome. By following things like your book, which has helped him. So, Thank you for being. That's the that's the full circle of kind of why I just love you so much because you've helped our family so much. So thank you for that, oh, okay. all that you do for the world and for other people. And um, I just thank you for your time. Really, very special to chat with you. Very, very special. Oh, thank you. So appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Let me add also that uh, I, you know, I think this is a very powerful stuff that you're talking about, and I'm going to go get the book today. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Thank you. Yeah, I have it already. Awesome. I it, love it. So, yeah. Love thank it. you. So, all right. well, the well, big, thank you the so big much. one is the cookbook, too, so yeah. be sure to oh, grab yeah. that. When does that come out? That comes out May 26th. We are doing a cook-a-thon, which is like a live um, broadcast online cook-a-thon May 7th, which is free at sugarimpactdietlive.com. Everyone can join in. In fact, the minute you join in, I give you like my favorite pantry makeover, shopping list, etc. at sugarimpactdietlive.com. But um, that's where I'm going to be showing how to make a bunch of these recipes very easily. So good. that's a good one. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Thank you. I hope you'll come back again. Um, I would love to oh, do thank you. so. Yeah, I'd love to do a show. It doesn't have to be so long the next time. We're trying to get to know you and, and introduce. A lot of our audience knows who you are already, but there were some that, that weren't totally familiar, so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, 
But if we could do a shorter show maybe on food allergies just for our food allergy community, I think they would love it too. Sure. Always love to okay. talk about that. One of my favorite subjects, as you can imagine. Yeah, mine too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a medical alert on All my right. left arm. So. All right. Awesome. Yep. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. And everybody out there listening, thank you so much for being with us. We're almost at 2 million downloads. Um and views and everything, and um, we've got a couple million people following us on social media. We thank you so much for all of your support and love with sharing our shows and telling your friends about the Best Ever You show and besteveryou.com and everything. And we just uh, appreciate you, and thank you, everybody, at Blog Talk Radio for supporting our show also. So have a great day, everybody, and thanks for listening. And thank you again, JJ. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.